0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. Have a, if you want to take a seat, we're going we're gonna to get into it again this morning. Uh, excited about the Christmas uh, time together. Um, let's just really in faith believe that God uh, wants to draw people here um, to hear the gospel. We're going to be looking at uh, Zacchaeus on uh, Christmas Eve morning. His whole story, and at the end of that, uh, Jesus proclaims, "I've come to seek and to save the lost." And then uh, at three thirty, the three thirty service, we're just going to be looking at Matthew one twenty one. Jesus, his name will be Jesus. Why? Because he will save. His people from their sins. And so we're just going to take time to meditate on that together and think on those things and remember our hope in this Christmas season. Well, the text today, uh, if you were with us last week, we left kind of with heavy hearts, right? Like Jacob not doing well. Uh, Not doing well for like a long time, he had been walking in disobedience regards to what he said he would do. He said when he came back to the land, he would go and, and worship the Lord at Bethel. He's yet to do that. And, and instead, they settle down in this place that's not a great place. And, and as a result of that, uh, Dinah uh, has harm done to her. And then um, the response of the boys in the family are to, uh, to become very violent. And, and they commit ultimately what we would call today genocide uh, with this family, uh, or sorry, this city. And, and at the end of it all, everybody's just pointing fingers. Like, like it's pretty hopeless, the whole, the whole passage. Not one time do we hear, uh, hear from God. The, 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 the whole text, there is no mention of God the entire time. I think that's on purpose. Moses is showing us, like, listen. Like, they were walking apart from God's ways here. They weren't walking with God. They were walking apart from God. And you, you get to the end of that, and you're like, is there any hope? Well, praise God, we have a God who is faithful even when we are unfaithful. We have a God who, who, who helps us in our times of struggle. And, and, you know, perhaps if you've been a believer for more than like 30 seconds, you could uh, relate to the fact that sometimes we struggle in our faith. There are times of doubt. There are times of struggle. There are times, if we're being honest, where we just don't want to do what God wants us to do. We kind of want to do what we want to do. And, and you know, we'd like to think that our faith is like this just every day getting better. I'm just all, you know, like like yesterday I sinned once, today none. Like it was a, like, that's that's what we want. Like we're just like, we're going to take that last step right up into heaven. Like that'll be the end of the trajectory. This is all going right up, 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 up. But, but it's not like this, isn't it? Like these dips and hard times and struggles and like you know, like Paul said in Romans 7, like, why am I doing this? Why do I do the things I ought not want to, I don't want to do? like why, And why am I not doing the things that I should be doing? Like, what's going on? And there's this battle with the flesh. Even though God has given us his spirit, there's still this struggle. And, 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 and if we left to ourselves again, where would we be? But God is faithful. And I want us to think about, okay, what does it take for us to be renewed in our faith this morning? And I think Jacob is actually exemplary in a good way this week in regards to what it takes for us to be renewed. And then at the end of the chapter, we're going to see what, this really ultimately the hope of the gospel and how God takes terrible things and brings about good. And, and so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Before we do, though, let me just uh, take us to the Lord one more time in prayer, and then we'll get into the text. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful, God, that you are always faithful. You're always good. That though we are fickle and continually changing, God, you never change. That your love is steadfast, faithfulness is great, and that your mercies are new every morning. God, we've already celebrated this the incredible love that you've shown to us in in, in Christ dying for our sins. And um, Lord, we pray as we think about our faith, personally, even more now. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us as we look at the scriptures? God, we, we do want to be wholehearted, devoted followers of you. And God, we would be quick to admit that's not always the case. And Lord, I, I know that you know every heart here today. Uh, I'm thankful for this congregation that is open and honest, even just, Lord, hearing of a brother sharing after service, this first service, like that that he's in that spot. He's just not where he ought to be, but he, he wants to be. And so, God, I, I'm just thankful for these people. God, would you have your way in their lives? And, Lord, would you lead us in the way everlasting? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Genesis 35 is what we're going to be studying. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hands. Uh, we want to make sure everybody has the Scriptures in front of them so we can go through it together to see what God has for us. And as we study, we're going to see as believers, if our hearts are to be renewed, we need to see that renewal qu- requires two things. First, we need to see that it requires rededication. Rededication. There, there, there's, there are times where we need to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm going to continue to now do the things which I once started, right? And, and, and you know, sometimes in In Christianity, we have these ebbs and flows. I mean, there was a time where churches were like, every weekend, okay, who wants to rededicate this weekend, right? Like, I don't know that that's necessarily helpful, but the reality is there are times in your life where you need to be rededicated, and this is what we're going to see in the life of Jacob. As we ended, as I mentioned, at the end of 34, we we see Jacob is still not where he ought to be. But now he is going to be, and we see him looking in, verses 1 through 4. Looking in. Uh, before, he was, he was pointing the blame at everyone else. Hey, Levi, Simeon, look, look at the trouble you brought on me. Okay, yeah, for sure. They had some blame, but ultimately the blame should have been him. That should have been his confession. Listen, I failed you. And, and now we see there's this change of heart for him. He's no longer pointing fingers, but now instead he's ready to follow the Lord. He's ready to do the thing which he should have done 10 years earlier. We see in verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Hey, remember that, remember that thing you said you were going to do? It's been like 30 years now. You, when, when you went, you went away and you were in the land with Laban there for 20 years. And now it's been another 10 years. Like it's time to do the thing you said you were going to do. Like God is so gracious to remind us of what we ought to do. And this is what he's doing here. He tells them to go up. It actually literally is going up. He's going to, from, from where he's at in Shechem to get to Bethel. It's like a thousand foot rise uh, in Bethlehem. In, uh, Elevation as he makes his way there. And he's to go there and he's to make an altar to the Lord. Um, Abraham, Isaac, both made altars. But this is the first time in the scriptures where we see someone being told to make an altar. Hamilton, Hamilton notes that on this occasion, there is no need for God to encounter Jacob or to wrestle with him. God simply speaks And we find that Jacob now is ready to listen. He's ready to listen. He's ready to do that which is right. He is finally ready to lead his family again. And that's a grace of God in his life. God's word comes into his life. He responds in the way he ought to. And and, and in every way, as we see in verses 2 and 3. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. He's actually doing more than what he's been asked. He's been asked to go to Bethel to worship there, but he knows something. What does he know? We're not ready to go worship. We're not ready to come before the Lord God because we have some things in our lives that need to be changed. He, he talks about these gods that they have. Now, Rachel, we know that she had stolen her dad's, Laban's gods and hid them from him. So they're probably still in the mix. But more than likely, when they went to Shechem and they killed everybody and they went through all their homes, they likely gathered all the gods with them and brought them into their own homes. Not just as trophies to say, hey, look what we did. Or, I mean, that's probably worth something. Maybe we'll have to sell that at some point. But now they've become gods to them. Why do we know that? Because he's like, we've got to get rid of these things out of our life. They become idols in their hearts. And so it is for all of us when we think that we can bring the things of the world into our homes and it's not going to hurt anybody. That's just a lie. And so now they, they, they need to change. They need to get rid of these idols in their life. And he also calls them to purify themselves. If you read through the, the law, you, you find it, that it included a, a good bath. Okay, You bathe yourself. There was um, some shaving involved, and there would be a washing of clothes this is there's this, this outward act that is to be indicative of a change of heart and this is where Israel continued to fail they' were like oh yeah yeah what 's the outward thing we 're supposed to do and then it didn't it was just like just something they were doing rather than that changing their hearts but it was to 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 change this this focus of of me 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 and to Lord, we're focusing on you. We want to be holy as you are holy. So there's this purification. And then there's also this change of clothes that happens. And we even see, um, we'll see in in just a few chapters, when Joseph is to come in before Pharaoh, what? He has to change his clothes before he comes in. There's this idea that to to be be made ready, there's this change of clothing, which also then prepares us to come in before Pharaoh. In this case, someone who is holy, someone who is great with God, right? So, so these things are to be done so that they would be ready to go and worship. And I think this is so exemplary for you and I in regards to what we need to do if we're going to be wholehearted worshipers in our life. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says this, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And Jacob is readying his family to worship as they ought to worship. This is a sign of maturity in his life and that he's back to where he should have been, placing the Lord as the priority in his life and leading his home. He's ready to worship the Lord who what? Who has been with him in his distress. The the God who has been with him wherever he has gone. He knows that he is a God who is worthy of his worship and he deserves wholehearted affection. It's so easy for those of us who are in the church, the longer you're in it, to just kind of go through the motions week in and week out. Like, ah, oh, you know, grace, grace, you know, he takes us as we are and in, in kind of, you know, like, um, you know, oh, yeah, 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 forgive me, God. in, in like, we, we make things trite. And I love the, the fact that there is no triteness here. There, there is a wholehearted devotion involved in seeking the Lord, in worshiping the Lord. And so it should be for you and I. That There ought to be some preparation of our hearts before we come on a Sunday morning. We're coming before the King of Kings as a body, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are singing worship to him. The, the way that we design our worship, our, those first songs are like, come on up to the steps. Come on, let us come worship him together. And then we have songs of reflection. God, this is what you've done for me. And then before we, we have time in the word, we want to say, Lord, it's all about you, you and you alone. And then we open his word with expectation. God, you alone have the words of life. We submit ourselves to you. This all should be done with pure hearts. Not just, you know, as we see, you know, the, the, the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah saying, like, what are you guys doing? You're showing up for worship and it's the furthest thing from it. And so there ought to be this look in, God, God. If there's sin in us, God, show us. We want, to, we want to be pure before you. And this is what we see them doing. And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Again, we're just seeing the, the futility of these gods. A few chapters back, we, we see Rachel sitting on the gods. Now we see them being buried. Like, try, try burying the king of kings and lord of lords. Like, as if that could ever happen, right? It's foolishness to even suggest it. Yet, these gods, they can be buried. And, and there, there's a different Hebrew word used that is no, than what is normal for burial. It's almost like, hey, hey, this was not like a, a nice ceremony. Let us, like, lay them into the ground. This is like, we're tossing away our trash, And we're burying it in the ground. We're getting rid of that which would cause us to stumble. We don't want those things in our life anymore. We want to be wholly devoted to Him. We see there's these rings and ears. That was just part of the idolatry. I mean, why not take your God with you and have little moon earrings? Okay, that's what they found. They did in these archaeological digs, you know, these moon earrings to kind of like just remind us of the moon God, that we're with him, like that that kind of stuff was going on. And so they're removing everything that would cause them to be idolatrous. You think that maybe it's helpful in our lives? To remove everything that is idolatrous? Pastor, we don't have any gods in our house. I checked. I went through it. We don't have any gods in our house I'm not wearing any moon god earrings this morning, right? They maybe you have some moons. That's okay. We're not saying you're worshiping a moon god. I don't know, okay? <laughs> there's some different symbolism back then, okay? But do we have idols in our heart? What are idols? Anyone or anything that we love more than God? Anyone or anything that we trust more than God. Anyone or anything that we think, I have to have this or else. Like those are idols in our life. And, and sometimes they're good things. It, it could be your family. Your family can become an idol in your life. God, I will serve you as long as my family blank. Right? Well, now you've just taken your wish of God and just kind of put him down here in the family here. Single folks, sometimes it can be hard. You're like, okay, I, I would like to be married someday right? That, that's kind of been the plan since I've been like 12, right? Like I said, maybe if you're a girl since you were three, like that's, right? Like that's the thought. Like I'll grow up and I'll meet Prince Charming. I'll meet this gal and, that's, and then I'll get married someday. That, and that can become an idol in your life where you're like, no, no, like God, you have to make that happen now. I'm tired of waiting. And, and so we have to be careful and say, no, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. If, you. if you want me to be married, I will be married and, and I'm just going to trust that. I, I, I want you more than I want a spouse. Money, I mean, that's an easy one. That can become such an idol in our lives. If I just had this amount of money in my bank account, then everything will be great. You'll find, oh, they just need a bit more, just a bit more. Power can be an idol in our lives. Reputation can be an idol in our lives. Comforts could be an idol, entertainment, sex, on and on the list goes, right? So many different opportunities for idols. One of the, I can't remember, I think it was one of the reformers. I can't remember exactly which one, but he said our, our hearts are like idol factories, right? It doesn't, it's not hard for us to come up with some idols, right? That's, that's, that's what our hearts do. And so as the people of God, we must continually be looking in, God, are there are some idols in my life that I need to repent of. Lord, that you might be brought most honor and glory in my life, that I would worship you and you alone. We think about this picture of the, 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 the clothes changing and the purification. The, the New Testament equivalent of that is in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You can just write that down and look it up for yourself later. But Ephesians four twenty two it says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Yeah, God, we want to we put away, we want to change out of that clothing, and we want to put on you. We want to live in you. And that, that's a daily pursuit. For the believer. If not, you will find yourself in a place you ought not to be. And so, God, help us to look in. Help us to look up. This is the second thing. Again, I want to just note back in verse 1, it's God who initiates this. God's word comes to him and says, hey, remember? Remember this? We we ought to do something about it. We should be forever. We would be forever in trouble if God said, I told you once and I'm not going to tell you again. Right, like where would we be? I don't, I don't think any parents has ever, ever said that. I told you once, and I'm not going to tell you. Is any parent ever said that? They probably. Okay, but but God's not like that. He's like I'll, I'll tell you 50 times. I'll tell you 100 times because I know you need it. I need you. Need, I know you need to continually be reminded of what the truth is, so that you then would finally do it. Right. So that then you would do the things you ought to do. It is a grace of God in our lives. Sometimes you'll be reading the word and you're like, man, I don't know if I've ever read this before. Like, and then it'll just hit you, right? And, and it's, a God, it's God's grace in your life to, to convict you and to bring you into submission under, under him. And then there's other times where you're like, I think I've read this like a hundred times. And then all of a sudden it's just like, how come I've never seen this before? Like how have I never, and God will bring that fresh conviction to your life. It is such a grace of God. So so look what he's doing. Look up, like see him in his word. Pursue him through his word that he might have his way in your life. And then see the mercies of God in your life. Lamentations 3 tells us that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. What is a mercy? Mercy. It's not getting what you deserve, right? Now, when it comes to our sin, we're weird people, right? We actually think, maybe sometimes we think, I should be in charge of the consequences. That's called penance, penance. Okay, God, uh, I did this, and so now I'm going to do this, this, and this. Are you happy now? Are you happy now? I'm I'm not going to... I'm not going to do this or that, and, 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 uh, and I'm going to pray on my knees for a month, and you know, I, like it's all penance. It's what the Catholics used to do, you know, crawling up the stairs on your knees. Our God, are you happy now? Where's God? When is God happy? When you say, "Lord, I sinned against you when I did this," will you please forgive me? And now I'm going to walk in your ways. That's what God requires of you. That's repentance. Not you coming up with the consequences. He's in charge of the consequences. And many times he's merciful. We see this here in this text. They're not going to get what they deserve. I mean, they committed genocide. Eye for an eye kind of mentality would say what? They should be killed for what they did. But it's not in line with God's promises. God has said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And so what does he do in verse 5? Verse 5. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Why does it have to be said like this? Because they were going to pursue the sons of Jacob. That's the reality. Jacob's uh, concerns that he, he mentioned in the last chapter are accurate. What they had done didn't make them a target. But what God does is like, Okay, I'm taking care of you. I'm going to protect you. You don't deserve it, but I'm still going to protect you. And he does. He does the same thing. I would love the fact that, you know, as we think about the original audience, it's the, it's the Israelites in the wilderness. They got to experience this. As they start moving, what happens? The terror of God comes on the people, their enemies. And God has his way. That's a good reminder for you and I, isn't it? Like, is God in control of your terrible boss that you just, you know, you think that, I don't know that I'm ever going to make it through another day with this guy. Like, I, I can't take it anymore. Like, is, your, is God over that boss? Can he change their hearts? Is he in power or not? Like, sometimes we live godless as believers. Yeah, yeah. He, he's over everything except for my workplace. Right, he's not there. I checked. He's not, he's not there. In my school, he's not there. No, He's everywhere. And he is in control. This is a great reminder of that. And so people are culpable for their sin, but God is sovereign. And we need to look to him. So he gets them through. They get to Bethel, verse 6. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. It had been 30 years, again, since Jacob had been there. He returns not by himself, but now with the entire family. This place that once had been called Luz, now is was called Bethel, which means what? House of God. He had changed the name before, but now he's going to change the name again. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. He's remembering what God had done. Hamilton says this, rather than recall Bethel as a divine residence, a holy site, Jacob has gone from Bethel to El Bethel he has renamed this place to the God of the house of God rather than simply the house of God. Like he's like, I'm worshiping him. I'm worshiping, not this place. It's a special place, but I'm worshiping the God of this place. And that's an important distinction for us, right? Again, you think about idols. I mean, how many people worship places rather than the God who made the place, right? How many people, it says in Romans chapter one, look at the creation and like, let's worship that instead of worshiping the creator. And so he, he's, he's doing well here. He, he's worshiping the God who's been faithful to him over and over again for the last 30 years of his life. So much has changed and yet God has not changed. He's so faithful. We want renewal in our lives. It is important that we get our eyes on the Lord. See him in his word. See him in your everyday circumstances. Know that he has been faithful. He is faithful and he will be faithful in your life. Look to him. So we see Jacob looking in, looking up, and now also looking out, looking out. He's going to be reminded of the promises that God has for him and what the future has. But before that, we see there's this entire chapter is a, a chapter of transition. We've seen the death of some gods and we're going to see three more deaths by the time we're done here. This is the last chapter where Jacob is the primary focus in Genesis. And so it's moving away from Genesis and it's going to be on to Joseph and his, and his brothers. That's coming up. Okay, Esau, I have no idea what we're going to learn next week. Uh, pray for me. We're going to learn about his story. Uh, lots of names, lots of rulers, and then we'll say amen. But we'll, I'm sure there's going to be some great stuff, okay? Because why? Because it's the word of God. But I'll just be, I'm just being honest as the preacher. I have no idea what we're going to find out, okay? Um, but it will be good because it's in His word. But 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 now he's okay. We have Jacob. He's kind of in the center, but we're also finding that the generation before now is passing away. From this earth. And, and Jacob needs to be reminded of the promises of God that though people will die, God's promises will not die. But first we see verse 8 and Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called this name Alon Baku. I think it's kind of like that. I tried to listen to it, but something like that. Um, it means oak of sorrow, oak of weeping. This was someone that was close to Jacob. It was Rebecca's nurse. What's super fascinating about all this is like, where's Rebecca? The best we can figure is that while Jacob was in uh, with Laban, she passes away at some point. That's the best we can figure. And then as Jacob comes back into the land, he takes on the responsibility of caring for Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. nurse. And, and, and so this is someone who would have been like family, someone he would have known for his entire life. And with her death, we're reminded that that generation is passing away and there's a new generation coming. And so the, the promises are repeated now to, to Jacob. And what's interesting about as the promises are repeated to Jacob, there's so many parallels to the promises given to Abraham. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram. And Blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. He reminds him of what he's already told him. Over 10 years earlier, he, had, he told him, Your name is Israel, right? Why is he telling him again? And because he has not been acting like Israel, right? He's been living like Jacob. He needs to be reminded, no, no, this is your story. This will be your future. Not to be a deceiver, but to be one who fights with the Lord, who wrestles with the Lord. He says this, in both Abram and, 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 um, and Jacob, in both cases, the name giving symbolized the transition, sorry, transformation of the patriarch's character and destiny. Indeed, indeed, Abraham became the father of multitude, and Israel strove and prevailed with God, not in his strength, but in his weakness. I've always been reflecting about Jacob's life. Jacob's life was hard. It really was. I mean, you just think about what's still to come. His, some sons think about killing his favorite son, and they said, no, we won't kill him. But we'll tell dad he is dead, and he's sold into slavery and then Benjamin looks like he's going to be gone now too. Like, I mean, it's like, it's not an easy life. And his favorite wife, which is a messed up thing to be even have to say, but uh, his favorite wife is going to die in this chapter as well. He, he had a tough life. But he's being reminded that God's promises will be true. Verse Eleven And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and the king shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. You get very similar promises. He called himself El Shaddai. God Almighty to Abraham. And he does exactly the same thing to Jacob. Why? Because he needs to understand, how is it that these promises will be fulfilled? Well, the promises will be fulfilled, not because of you, Jacob, but because I am God Almighty. I am the one who, when when he makes his promises, he will fulfill them. And so we see this this promise of the land again, okay? Uh, Just as I promised to Abraham and Isaac, your descendants also will have the land, that you're going to be not just a nation, but a multitude of nations. Note that it says, be fruitful and multiply. It was only like just a year and a half ago when we looked at Genesis 1. You guys remember that? I mean, he told Adam and Eve to what? Be fruitful and multiply. I think there's, there's a couple of things going on here. It's a reminder that God is is, is his blessing, his covenant, his Abrahamic covenant, he, that he will do what he said he would do. But it also, I think, is, it's pointing to you and I who are reading from the outside and saying, see, my promise is going to be fulfilled through them. That, that promise that there's going to be one who will come, who will stomp, the head of Satan, who will ultimately get us back to Eden, it's, it's through this family. That's how it's going to happen. He's told to be fruitful multiply, multiply. He's got like 13 kids already. Like how much more can we be fruitful and multiply? Okay, well, what he's showing is like nations are going to come from you. This is the idea. This is, this is what will happen. And not only will nations come from you, but there will be kings who will come from you. He'll get to experience this even in his own lifetime. Joseph will become number two in power in the entire world. Only Pharaoh will be greater in power. But we know Many, many years later, the ultimate fulfillment is what? The King of kings and Lord of lords will come through your family line. And it is him that we worship today. And so he reminds them of these things. And then God went up from him, same wording as with Abraham, went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, house of God, once again. He does actually almost exactly the same thing as he had done 30 years earlier. He sets up a pillar, why? To remember the spot, to memorialize the spot. He pours oil on it to set it apart, to to make it holy. But in this case, he does one step further. He also offers a drink offering. And Hugh says this, By adding a wine libation indicates that Jacob was rehabilitating the pillar and investing it with new meaning. This was Bethel, the house of God. And Jacob understood it with a depth and devotion that he was not capable of in his youth. I just think this is fascinating as you think about this. I mean, that, just that, that line there that, that, that he's worshiping just like he did 30 years in, earlier, but what? with such a devotion, with such a depth now that he didn't have 30 years earlier. He knew that he is God 30 years earlier, but now he's had 30 years of living it out. 30 years of God being with him wherever he would go. 30 years of God remaining with him even when he was a schmuck, right? Even when he was walking in sin, he was still with him. He was still He's still the God who was faithful even when he was faithless. If you are in Christ for any length of time, this will be your story. There's things you know in your mind, but then there's things that you're going to know with your whole being. It's just what God does as he matures us, as he grows us in him. I, I don't know how many different conversations I had this week with people about this particular thing. And most of those situations were hard situations they're in. They're like, I, I knew God was faithful, but now I know God is faithful. Like, I knew that it says that his love is steadfast, but now I know that his love is steadfast. You, you, you'll know someday what it means to cry out to the Lord God in a unique way that maybe you don't know yet. There's this, there's this maturing of our faith. Job says it like this after going through what he went through. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Job 42.5. I mean, you look at Job's life pre to, you know, previous to everything that went down. I mean, he, 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 was, a, he was a follower of the Lord. He, he, could, he would have won any Bible quiz, right? Like he knew it. But now he, he knows it in a, such a different way as he went through this trial. And so God, who is faithful and gracious to us, matures us along the way. And this is what we've seen with Jacob. There's this whole rededication that happens in his life as he looks in, as he looks up, and as he looks out. And it's exemplary for you and I today. And I would just exhort you this morning, if this is you right now, if you're not in a place where you ought to be, if you're, not, if you're not fully devoted to him, then just admit that to him today. See that he is faithful. See that he will help you to, to change the course of your life, to, to become fully devoted to him once again. But this is the template. Remove the idols. Remember who he is. And then remember his promises and live accordingly. Well, the second thing I want us to see, if we're going to see renewal, the, the second thing that's required is reversals. Reversals, And this is all God. All, all that we're going to see here for verses 16 to 29, that, that, that we're going to see what man is responsible for, and then we're going to see what God actually does with it. We're going to, we're going to see that, that, that though Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Christ has come, that we might have life and have it abundantly. This is what God does. The first reversal we see is death to life. Death to life. Verse 16, then they, journeying from Bethel, when they were still some distance from Ephrath, and Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. I mean, the emphasis here is this, it's not going well. The labor's not going well. We're surprised, right? When you read this, it's like, whoa, what? She's having a baby? Like nobody told us, right? And for whatever reason, Moses doesn't add that in, but, but while they're here now in the promised land, she, she gets pregnant again, which is what her, her son Joseph, she, she names him what he does, what, because I want another son. That's, that's basically what she said. Like, give me another one. I got Joseph, but now I want another one. Like she, she longed to have children. She longed to have sons, and, 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 and she has Joseph, but now she's having another child. But interestingly, she had said back in chapter 30, she said to Jacob, give me a kid or I die. And now with the second child, she will die. She will die. As we continue to read, we see in verse 17, And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Here he is. Can you hear him crying? And, 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 and the midwife is trying to comfort her. There's a son here. And we see this parallel to another text in the Old Testament, but there's this, there's this hope. There's the son has been born. And as her soul was deport, departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni. For his father called, But sorry, but his father called him Benjamin. She wants to call him son of my sorrow. Son of my sorrow. She's, she's dying. And so that's the name she comes up with, Ben-Oni. But he says, no, his name's going to be Benjamin, son of my right hand. Ultimately, he is the answer to your prayer, Rachel. God has been faithful. He's given you another son. And now she goes. Ross says this Jacob thereby turned this day of sorrow into a day of triumph. The birth of a son with the prospect of success. After all, the child was an answer to Rachel's prayer, and so he wanted the name to be positive. Out of death comes life. Out of death comes life. Verse 19 So Rachel died. And she was buried on the way to Epaphras, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Death brings life. It's a theme throughout the scripture. We've already celebrated the ultimate picture of it this morning. That in Christ's death, life has come. If Christ does not die then there is a death sentence hanging over every single one of us. Eternal death. But because Christ died, we now have life. It was in his death that sin was defeated. It was in his death that Satan was defeated. And on the third day, he rose again to show us that death also has been defeated. And if you would have life here today, you too must die. You must die to yourself. You must say I can't make it to heaven. I am not a good person. And no matter how many things I would try to do, I can never reach heaven. You must die to your own efforts and you must say God, I give my life to you. I believe that you are the author of life. I believe that you have died for my sins. And so I now I entrust my life to you. I'm dying to myself on a daily basis. No longer my will be done, but Lord, your will be done. Death to life—it's a great reversal that God does. Only He can do this. Secondly, we see cursed to blessed, cursed to blessed. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent toward the tower. Sorry, beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. What's going on here? I think it's, it really has nothing to do with lust. has nothing to do with physical attraction. And it has everything to do with power. Reuben has watched for his entire life, Jacob favor Rachel. And he fears now that Rachel is dead, that Bilhah now will become the favorite wife. Bilhah, the, the servant of Rachel. He thinks that, that that's going to be the case. So he's doing it for that reason, to, to, to discredit her. But he's also doing it so that he can take the place, that he, could, that he can have a place of power. You're like, well, how does that work? Well, near Eastern custom held that the possession of the concubines of a man's father, and you see this later in the Old Testament. We don't have time to go through that this morning. But you see, the possession of the concubines of a man's father or vanquished enemies validated succession. And so what he's trying to do through his manipulative ways is to say, I'm going to be the top dog. I'm going to be the one who will inherit everything I'm supposed to inherit as the firstborn. And in doing so, he brings a a curse upon himself. You get to Genesis chapter 49, and guess what? He loses his birthright. There is nothing for him. Jacob remains silent now, but he will have the last word later. And so he will lose his inheritance. Like, okay, um, I'm trying to keep it straight here. Uh, Simeon and Levi, sons two and three, uh, nothing, uh, nothing good happening for them. Reuben loses his birthright. So now who becomes the first? Judah. Judah, unexpectedly. It's a reminder that God is not, doesn't use man's conventions. He's not stuck with them. He'll have his way despite the sinfulness of man. And again, isn't that an amen? Thank you, Lord. Despite the sinfulness of man, he has his way. So now Judah will be chosen. And and interestingly, we're told that now a king is going to come from the line of Judah as we're going to get near to the end of the chapters in Genesis. But what does this king do? He becomes a curse for us. We read this in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He becomes a curse for you and I. Why? So that the wrath of God then would be poured out on him. And in exchange, his perfect life would be given to us. And through him, all the nations would be blessed. Which is exactly what the Abrahamic covenant promised. That people from all nations would be blessed. That includes you and I here today. Every single one of us, we've been blessed because Christ became a curse for us. It's another great reversal that only God can do. Cursed to blessed. And then lastly, we see divided to united. So much division in this family. We see it even in the way that their family tree is written here. Now the sons of Jacob were 12, verse 23. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Firstborn, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padam Aram. He's like, the way it's written is to say, look at the division in the family Leah's kids against Rachel's kids. And now even Leah's kids against Bilhah's kids. There's so much division. There's so much brokenness in this family. Is there any hope? I mean, that's, as you read this, you're going to like, how in the world is God going to fulfill his promises through this family? Well, because he, he's God Almighty. He's El Shaddai. And Jacob came to his father Isaac in Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, which, or sorry, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned, now the last days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried with him. One last transition. When I mean, Isaac was not great at figuring out when he was going to die. Okay? Minimum, he's been, he lived for at least another 30 years, but it's probably likely even more than that. So the guy lives for decades Past when he thought he was going to die. Remember the, the whole reason that he went to Laban in the first place? It's because, okay, I'm going to die. i got to bless my kid. And there was the whole deception thing. God knows the number of our days. Praise the Lord. Right? And, and, and that's, a, that's a good remembrance for you and I today too. Right? But we see Esau... And Jacob, who had been at such odds for so many years, they together they bury Dad. Which is a reminder that God is the one who is able to bring about reconciliation. He's the one who is able to take that which is divided and bring about unity. And as we think again about this, the power of the gospel and what Christ has done, we think about the body of Christ. That in the body of Christ, there is no division. We are one in him. According to the world standards, many of us ought to be enemies in this place. But that's not the case because we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone gets the glory for what he has done. This is yet another great reversal that he has done through the gospel. Death to life. Cursed to blessed. Divided to united. That's the story of every single person here today. It's the story because of what the gospel has done for you. But it's the story of your life on an everyday basis. God is more than powerful to take that which Satan would want to steal, kill, and destroy. And then to bring about life through that. I mean, when we get to the end of, of Genesis here, Joseph's going to say to his brothers, what? You intended for evil, God meant for good. He gets the last say in all of these things. And so whatever your life circumstances are today, I would just remind you, God is over it. I remind you what it says in Romans 8, 28, that all things do work together for the good of those who love him those who are called according to his purpose. That goodness is that he's conforming you more and more into the image of his son. And in the process, he's bringing honor and glory to himself. He is the God who brings renewal, whether through rededication or through reversals. He is the one who does it. He's always faithful. I pray that you have been encouraged by his word today, that if there are things in your life that need to be dealt with, that you would do it right now. You would not put it off, but today you would desire to walk as a wholehearted worshiper of him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, we love you. So thankful for your word today. So thankful that, Lord, you are the one who changes hearts. Lord, you've done that for many in this room. God, there are some who have, who have went astray. Lord, they, they've wandered. Lord, they're not in a place of wholehearted devotion right now, God, we're just praying, would you, would you help them? Would you help them to lay down the idols of their life, bury those idols, be purified and then walk in your ways as a wholehearted worshiper of you? God, we also think of those today who, who don't know you. They know about you, but Lord, they've never confessed that they're a sinner. God, today, would that be the day? Would you help them to die to self and now to live for you through the power of the gospel? God, you are the God who changes hearts. God, we pray that you would do that even right now. God, we love you. We thank you for this time together. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.